0: Get full access to RFR only on Patreon. Become a member of the RFR Patreon community to get more Rebel Force Radio. Bonus shows and content are available right now only at patreon.com slash Radio.
3: just realized i didn't talk about my uh my skiff last week skiff yeah holy skiff yeah i mean i feel uh kind of lame actually talking about it after the barge Mm -hmm. you know i mean you've got puppet lando doing a tour of your barge Ah. i got the little skiff but I, i do love it it's a really cool um it's a great vehicle and i don't really collect the vehicles But I saw that and I'm like, all right, I passed up on the barge. I mean, at least I can do is get this skiff. I'm really glad that I did. But when it came to decking it out in figures, it's actually been so long since I opened my four inch, three and three quarter inch to be exact action figures that I had to go kind of um, postmodern. But I guess right now you would consider it kind of. Late vintage, because they're all the beefed up power of the Force two versions. Ah, yeah. So I t- to be real consistent, even though I had maybe a couple. Like I had a uh, a more modern Luke steroid Luke to, steroid. I had Luke. to go with steroid. You have Luke. to shorty yeah. robe steroid Luke. Well, not shorty robe. This is a jo- This is the sail barge, or I mean the you know the skiff. Right, right. But with shorty robe, he was much more beefy. Yeah, he was beefy, but even when they got to Jedi Luke, he was still real beefy. In fact, he was so beefy. How beefy <laughs> was he? I <laughs> uh, See, that's what it's like working with a trained broadcast professional. Right there.
0: <laughs> um, At
3: least
1: someone who watched a lot of episodes of The Tonight Show with his yeah. dad in the 70s and
3: 80s. How beefy was he? No, I think that it was just this past week that Mark Hamill responded to a tweet Of a photo of that exact figure, that shorty robe Luke from like 1995, 96 when it came out. Uh, I think they came out in 95. But yeah, it was real beefy. And um, yeah, I think Mark Hamill said, This is what happens when someone takes your head and puts it on the rock's body or something (laughs) like (laughs) that. Yeah, he was talking about that. But anyway, I'll have to post a a, a photo. I've got some photos. But we'll have to get a. I'll get a photo up on our uh, on our social channels of my, of my my whole. So I didn't stop with just the skiff. Mm -hmm. I went from the skiff, and then I finally tracked down that that job of the hut that was a Walmart exclusive, or was it? No, I think it was a no. It was Walmart exclusive, like back in two thousand ten. Oh, I love that one. The yeah, that's the best one with the pillows. Yes, yes. I have a great photo
1: of my kids scoring that for me. At a Walmart, and they were just little kids back then. Oh, no kidding. But, uh, yeah, that that's a great one, and that goes along well with the skiff and everything. I'm sorry to hear you have Sail Barge Envy, though. That's the I thing. do. That's, yeah. I
3: do. But when I was decking this out, so I've got the, I got the skiff and then the, the Jabba, and then to the right of the Jabba, I've got, you know, the, the Max Rebo band with the special edition d- backup dancers and the... You know the Greedo with the horn. I know they all have names, but in my day they didn't have names. <laughs> my day they weren't even in the movie. Uh, <laughs> Sometimes, but my favorite is I have uh, an old um, torture droid with, with, with the with the with the thingy that you know would lower down and 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 what's going on with that Gonk droid? Are they torturing him or are they? Branding him as property of Jabba the Hutt.
1: I always assumed that that droid was wa- Ooh, he was acting inappropriate, and uh-huh. he was being reconditioned via torture by uh, oh. burning his, his feet. Because, you know, I mean, a power droid. To a power droid, his feet are everything. So, <laughs> I mean, that's what defines the power droid. That's a T-shirt, man. Yeah. Well, it could be to the power joint it could feeder. Everything, everything. It's maybe not a T-shirt, but a bumper sticker. Yes, mm-hmm. yeah, mm-hmm. that's definitely bumper sticker
3: quality material.
1: Maybe later so, in the show, I'll come up with something good for a T-shirt, but it's
3: early. Okay, well, we'll stick with the uh, with the bumper sticker. But anyway, that's my setup, uh, and I was just admiring it, so I had to uh, share it with you all. Um, but uh, if you're listening, you found Rebel Force Radio this week's show for Friday, August sixteenth, two thousand nineteen. And, uh, boy, we got a lot of follow-ups from, from last week, but uh, here to help me with that and so much more is my good friend and yours from Chicago, Jimmy Mack. Hey, Jason. Hey, Star Wars fans. True. A lot of follow-ups from last week. I'm going to just jump
1: right into uh, one of the topics we talked about is the definition of the term Lucasian. Yes. Lucasian. We took the Lucasian. <laughs> to talk about the term Lucasian. Very true. And it's a term I thought, Jason, you yourself was responsible for uh, coining. Mm-hmm. And um, so we did the the Google search, you know. Google is the best friend to a podcaster. Yeah. And uh, we looked up the term Lucasian and found that it does exist. It's an adjective of or pertaining to. Henry, not George, Henry Lucas, who lived from 1610 to 1663. He was a oh, ripe right old age of 50 years, 50, old, there, right? 53 53 years, years old. 53 years old. 53. Yeah. So he was definitely a senior citizen for the uh, 1600s, lived a long and fruitful life and became a member of parliament for Cambridge University. And he was founder of the Lucasian chair of mathematics. And, the Lucasian
0: uh, Chair of Mathematics oh, is a mathematics is. professorship in the University of Cambridge, England. Its holder is known as the Lucasian Professor. Oh, well, thank you. Yes, very good.
1: Yes. Um, so, uh, that is. It is the... like
3: having our own droid, isn't it? <laughs> that is the definition. That's kind of the droid, annoying droid voice. Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs>
3: shut her up or shut her down! <laughs>
1: <laughs> so, um, I find it interesting, too, that in my research of the term Lucasian, A term Jason Mm -hmm. Swank did not originate. No. Uh, I uh, discovered that uh, it was used in one of the great star franchises. And I'm not talking wars. I'm talking about Trek. I'm talking about Star Trek The Next Generation. The finale episode of Star Trek was called All Good Things. It was a two-parter. And uh, in that, there was some time jumping going on. And we discover... That in this reality, Data himself um, actually—well, you know—I. It's probably best if I let the audio explain everything. So, so Jean-Luc Picard catches up with Data in the future, way beyond their uh, adventures on the Star Trek Enterprise. Picard's Ooh. an old man. Data yeah. is Data, and uh, right. he's. Although, uh, if you notice, Data did age throughout the series. Well, of course, because Brent Spiner did. <laughs> right. And Data tried to uh, signify his aging as, a, as an android by actually um, putting some wisps of gray
3: into his hair. Just a touch of gray. Oh, okay. Yeah. Remember that episode? I, I do remember that episode. I haven't watched it probably since it aired. Yeah. But that was a big deal when that series finally wrapped up. I oh. remember it, it, it uh, being very poignant. Tremendous. But yeah. so
1: how does that tie into Lucasian? Well I we don't have, know. I'm waiting we,
3: for it. We have a
1: soundbite here that will parlay that information to you.
2: I must say, this is a fine place you have here. You certainly treat professors very well at Cambridge.
4: Holding the Lucasian chair does have its perquisites. This house originally belonged to Sir Isaac Newton when he held the position. Ah! Wow. Yes. So, so
3: all Peter. the way from Henry Lucas to... Sir Isaac Newton to Lieutenant Commander Data.
1: Yes, in the Star Trek franchise. Not where I expected to find it. Because our definition, the Rebel Force Radio definition of Lucasian is of or pertaining to George Lucas. Mm -hmm. And so that's how we've always applied it. That's, Jason, how you've always applied it. So that in itself, I thought, was an original application of the term Lucasian. Until my friend Joe proved me wrong with this clip from the Fanboys DVD documentary, The Truth About Fanboys. Here is Windows actor Jay Baruchel using the proper application of the term Lucasian.
3: It's a love letter to Star Wars and all things Star Wars, all things Lucas, Lucasian. Uh, there you go. There you go. That you, you, you do it, Jay Shell Windows. You do If you go back and listen to last week's show, I did half-heartedly take credit. I said, okay. I think Jimmy X, a a term you coined, I went, okay. Okay. Yeah, yeah, you know, a lot of people think a term I coined
1: is referring to Star Wars as simply the wars, right? Just the wars, yeah. But that is also something that um, I, uh, I I am, might be taking credit for that I shouldn't, uh, because you can also look at fanboys for that reference. David Denman. Remember him? He was from The Office. He played yeah, Pam's, Pam's boyfriend, Pam's yeah. boyfriend Roy. Right. Roy. <laughs> Roy. Yeah. Roy. Roy. And uh so David Denman, he was in fanboys, and uh-huh. he is actually the guy who invented that term when referring to Star Wars simply as the wars. What the hell are you doing here, man? Oh, come on, bro. It's the wars. I love that about you. It's the wars. wars It's the wars. Yeah. So a lot of people they're like, uh oh, so annoying how Jimmy Mack always refers to Star Wars as just the wars. But I had pop that's culture influence.
3: What People have hate about that?
1: Uh, well, you know, when you've been doing a Star Wars podcast for almost 14 years, <laughs> you've heard all kind of critiques, man. I mean, there's nah, really nothing true. you can say that doesn't at least elicit some sort of... Negative response from somebody. But uh, and that's part of the fun of uh, of uh, having a microphone in, in front of your face is the unpredictability about how your words are going to be accepted once they get blasted
3: out to a mass audience. Yeah, that's, <laughs> oh, yeah. That, that's, that's all part of the experience. That's the part of the excitement. So could we assume, though, that perhaps the modern use of the term uh, of or pertaining to George... Henry Walton Lucas, Jr. Mm-hmm. wasn't that his name? George Henry, George Henry Walton. G H uh, no
1: G W L is uh, how people around Lucasfilm would commonly refer to George Lucas. Is G- his
3: full name was George Henry? Well, anyway, I guess it's not. No, but I don't Walton think Henry is the middle name. Right? You're thinking Walton of Indiana
1: Jones. Um, his name. His name was Henry. All right, I'm looking at George, George Lucas. Lucas. It was G W no. Lucas. Because full name. Back in the day, everyone at Lucasfilm... Oh, George you, Walton. Walton, yeah. The Henry
3: yeah. I just made up.
1: <laughs> Again, like I, I think you were having some sort of Indiana Jones thing happening there. But uh, I remember back in the day when George was the uh, man in charge of Lucasfilm, uh, everyone would refer to him as GWL. So when we started oh. calling him the Notorious GL... I think uh, some people had to adjust to that because they were so used to referring to him as G.W.L. At least in the hallways at Lucasfilm.
3: Yeah, I, I like Notorious G.L. I like I that better too. I yeah. think it's very fitting, mm-hmm. uh, especially because he's he's all like underground now. Um, yeah, he, he whenever kind of you is. read about him, you're like they, they they'll say like I just read something about him uh, buying a bunch of stock in uh, his wife's financial firm. Right. Aerial it's a, it's a big one. Aerial financial based in yeah, Chicago. Something like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Something like that. And they were like the reclusive. Yeah. The reclusive George Lucas. Uh, but they've been calling him that for a long time. For a long time. I mean
1: because yeah. he, he he cut himself off from Hollywood. He cut himself off from filmmaking for a long number of almost fifteen years to raise yeah. a family. And I, I mean you know everyone understands and a company. I've heard George many times bristle to that reclusive tag that he receives, but uh, you know he, he is he is a little standoffish sometimes, and he he yeah. can be very glib. I've noted with George because I've been doing some uh, research into George Lucas this week because there's been some wild rumors popping up oh. on the internet about him and uh, the deal he made with the Walt Disney Corporation that I think we'll be getting into a little bit later in the show.
3: We sure will. This yeah. is this episode could be subtitled "Star Wars Mythbusters."
1: Mythbusters. That's yeah. exactly what we're going to call it when we That's release the we're show. Doing. We're going to call All it right. "Star Wars Mythbusters."
3: Yeah, I like it. I ain't afraid of no myth. <laughs> All right, uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, we'll, we'll move on. But I'm I'm wondering if that you know I want to give credit to fanboys writers uh, Adam Goldberg and and Ernest Klein if they might be the first ones to have used. Lucasian as well, of, I, I or got, pertaining to let me George explain to you, Lucas. but you, you have to
1: understand that you're you're looking at the wrong people to heap praise upon because the clip we heard from Jay Barishel is not from Fanboys itself. It's an off the cuff remark he made for the Fanboys D V
3: D documentary. that's a good point. That's so, not from the movie. So it is Jay. Are you sure Windows never uses it in the movie? Not that I... When he's in the comic shop and shuffling around no, no. and quizzing...
1: Um, no, I, I remember terms like sweater yams and Spock suckers being mentioned during those scenes, but nothing can about can hear his any, beard. Yeah, yeah. Lucasian,
3: no, didn't really come All out. Right. no. Mm-mm. Okay. All right, well, then I take it back, Ernie Klein and Adam Goldberg. No,
1: no, no. We still extend uh, great love and support for everything you guys do. But you didn't yes. invent the term Lucasian. That was Jay Baruchel. No.
3: No, definitely Listen and learn. Hey, we've been telling you quite a bit about the Rebel Force Radio YouTube channel, and we're going to tell you more about it because it is a bevy. It is a trove of classic moments, bits, interviews, Uh, you name it. It's there as part of sort of an an archiving project that Jimmy Mack has has taken upon himself. And you're wondering, you're like, well, okay, you're primarily a... uh, audio medium why would you use youtube and it comes down to the fact that it's so accessible Mm -hmm. i mean everybody jim every parent i talk to that has a kid under 18 16 Mm -hmm. we're all talking about how our kids are constantly on youtube and if, if youtube's on in the house then rebel force radio should be on youtube and we are what I love about YouTube is
1: the fact that it shows up in search engines everywhere. So somebody punches well, in things too. like, you know, somebody punches in um, any, you know, they want to know, what does Jay from Jay and Silent Bob really think about Star Wars? So they'll punch that into the YouTube search engine and they'll discover Star Wars Uncensored, Uncensored with Jason Mewes. There's a is, video for that. There's a, there's a video for that. So, um Well, audio hidden inside a video of that.
3: (laughs) But, I mean, that's all that really
1: matters, right? And so uh, with our our latest release, we teased it a little bit on the show last week, but we put it up on uh, YouTube uh, earlier this week. Star Wars Uncensored with Jason Mewes. It's our complete interview with the Jay and Silent Bob actor, but we're presenting the interview for the very first time unedited with all the naughty words (laughs) intact. So, uh, you know, people who listen to... um, to Jason on shows from the SMOD cast network might not think it's so revolutionary to have an audio release of Jason muse using such language. But for us here at rebel force radio, you know, uh, we, we want to give you some, uh, real behind the scenes stuff is, uh, what's going on. So we have, uh, uh, Jay talking about everything from working to Mark, with Mark Hamill in Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back, we play Star Wars Mad Libs with him, and we run the famous Yoda questionnaire past him as well. And that's uh, where you hear some amazing and amusing uh, responses that uh, you, you thought you'd never hear on Rebel Force Radio before. but uh, And you haven't. Yeah, so... <laughs> <laughs> and you haven't because we we either cut it out or bleeped it up. Even yeah. I swear in uh, the, the uh, Raw... Audio files, and I felt weird about releasing that. But uh, anyone who knows, well, me, when you're
3: hanging with Jason Hughes, I mean, it's just kind of yeah, I was kind of
1: yeah, uh, the thing to do, playing off of that a little bit. But yeah. uh, so that's out there, and that's available on our YouTube channel for anyone and everyone to hear. If you're a member of RFR on Patreon, however, you will get the interview completely intact without ads. Uh, YouTube does dump a bunch of ads into stuff. So if you're uh, a member of our Patreon community, uh, you will get that entire interview, not only unedited and uncensored, but without ads. And also, if you're a member of our Patreon community, you get our latest RFR ringtone. Which features a clip from Jason Jason Muse from Jay and Silent Bob, uh, taken from that very interview, and you can plug it right into your phone. And uh, here's what that sounds like. You must learn the ways of the force. Make <laughs> it, <laughs> 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 So that's really funny stuff, you know. And uh, so <laughs> the only place you can get that. Beedy, beedy, beedy. <laughs> Yeah, was he doing, like, a Tweety I it was from a tweet. Buck Rogers? Yeah. Mm, make it he might have make been. It. He might be, have be, 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 be. <laughs> You don't know what goes on in the head of Jason Muse. No, you but don't. But we talk a lot about Star Wars here, and, and Jay was very forthcoming and very open with us about uh, all things Star Wars and that conversation. So it's a lot of fun. Check it out. It's about 40 minutes of us talking with Jay from Jay and Silent Bomb. That's really cool. We also launched a Billy D Quote of the Week. A classic Billy D quote of the week this week on YouTube. Manscaping talk from Robot Chicken. And <laughs> so that's a goodie. And then we have another uh, RFR Rewind classic. How they got Alec Guinness to say Ray. In the Force Awakens, you know, you hear the voice of old Ben Kenobi calling out to Rey while she's having that flashback, that force back, in the Force Awakens. Well, how did they do it? We'll take you into the RFR Sound Lab and break that down step by step, and you'll hear exactly how the wizards at Skywalker Sound got Alec Guinness to say "Rey." So that's pretty cool. So good they. stuff, always happening on the RFR YouTube channel, Uh, go and visit us and uh, be sure to subscribe and you'll never miss any of the action going on over there at RFR on YouTube. In the Star Wars trilogy, the rebellion fought against the tyrannical empire. Now a marketing empire has us running in circles for a pristine version of a figure 50,000 people
3: already have. Price guides and eBay auctions have us all believing we'll be Steven Sandsweets, but we won't. (laughs) But we won't. No, you won't. But you can, uh, you can uh, see Steve Sansweet at Rancho Obi-Wan. Yeah. Grand Poobah of the massive, the Guinness Book of World's Record title holder for the largest Star Wars collection on the planet. Absolutely. And
1: you should do it. I, I recommend all Star Wars fans do it. If you've been listening to the show for any matter of time, you know how much we love Steve Sands and how much we love Rancho Obi-Wan. The place, like Jason said, the home to the world's largest Star Wars collection. A place that inspires you just by... The fact that they are preserving history, Star Wars history at Rancho Obi-Wan, and nobody is doing that like, like they do. So I just wanted to uh, get the word out about these new tours they're hosting for members of Rancho Obi-Wan. If you want to become a member, just visit ranchoobi org, and all the information is there. But these new tours, they're called Deep Dive Tours, and they're kicking off this fall. Um amazing tours of Rancho Obi-Wan that are very special. Uh, each tour is limited to a max of 20 attendees. You have to be 21 or older because you start the whole tour with a glass of wine from Skywalker Vineyards. Or if you're more into local beer or uh, you know local beer to the Petaluma area, which uh, I think means Lagunitas. Or um, non-alcoholic drinks. Uh, Then you start with a great museum tour. And this one's guaranteed to be led by Steve Sansweet. And uh, Steve will, of course, share stories about his collection and uh, his history with Star Wars. Then you enjoy a special presentation on that tour's theme. And you're like, theme? Well, the theme is normally Star Wars. No, these are very specialized tours with experts there to talk to you about very specific Star Wars collecting topics. Like comic books, posters, Lego collecting, vintage Kenner collecting. Trading cards and much more, so these are individualized tours based that's cool. Yeah, on, on, a, on a hyper focus on these specific areas of collecting. So, those are the ones that they currently have planned. They have tours running through uh, the fall, as I said, and uh, you can sit and Enjoy these special, specialized collecting presentations, uh, which aren't normally covered in their regular tours. You can relax with a beverage while uh, you're listening to these stories, or uh, play video games like I do in Steve's Arcade, and uh, talk to experts, Star Wars collecting experts. But then, it that's not it. It's all wrapped up with a, a sit-down dinner featuring Ann Newman's. Texas brisket and pulled pork and all kind of great food that she whips up on her R2, she calls it the R2BQ smoker. It's an (laughs) R2D2, a customized R2D2 barbecue smoker. I've seen it. It's fantastic. And Anne does masterful work with that. And then, um, of course, the entire thing is a a, a tax-deductible donation gets you in the doors. And that donation goes to support the continued operation of Rancho Obi-Wan, which I I think is a very important effort to support because, of course, Rancho Obi-Wan is preserving the history of Star Wars collecting and Star Wars collectibles. So Rancho Obi-Wan.org is the place to go. Get in on the action with the deep dive tours happening at Rancho Obi-Wan through the fall.
0: Rancho Obi-Wan is home to the world's largest Star Wars memorabilia collection as recognized by the Guinness Book of World Records. Become a member of Rancho Obi-Wan right now to get exclusive access to tours of Rancho Obi-Wan hosted by Steve Sansweet, invites to special events, and more. Plus, you can also make a difference and help Rancho Obi-Wan grow with a simple donation of $1 or higher. Visit ranchoobi-wan.org now to get the latest news Become a member or make a donation. RanchoOb1.org.
4: Hey, Jason and Jimmy, this is the registered nerd out in beautiful, sunny Southern California. So I was on the unofficial RFR group on Facebook, and Jimmy, you posted something with regards to missed opportunities and R2D2 and BB-8. I have to say this: the more I think about the sequel trilogy. The more I get a little frustrated with all the missed opportunities. I think you are spot on that it, DV8 is unneeded, although I love the character, I love the droid, I love that. It's unneeded. R2-D2 should have been the one that kind of carried that whole storyline. Second, the more I think about it, the more Disney should have thought and planned this whole thing out. They could have had Kylo Ren and Ray as a separate you know, against the new or against the old characters. And so Kylo Ren and Rey, Rey being an emerging Jedi, Kylo being a Sith guy, kind of like moving against the the new guys, or the excuse me, the old guys, old, original trilogy stuff, and slowly battle it out and pull Rey from the darkness into the light and then establishing that new generation of Jedi, generation of, of light side force yielders. I, I'm starting to disagree a little bit with the direction. Of course, it all pivots on what the rise of Skywalker looks like they have an opportunity to to reconcile or retcon a lot of the stuff that the first two films do again I think J.J. Abrams did an okay job but the more I sit on it the more I'm not liking it what do you guys think um again big big Star Wars fan I'm going to devour anything that they give us but I feels like Disney's dropping the ball here I'm not entirely sure but we'll see come December love the show you guys have a great day
1: don't say dropping the ball when you're talking about BB-8.
3: <laughs> Get out of my way, ball! All right. Well, Jim, the question—I mean, it was directed to both of us—but you did post uh, sort of a, a lament, yeah. We could say I was a lamenting. lament yeah. about R2D2 and his just his the lack of presence he has in the sequel trilogy, and I think that. Well, let me ask you, It was it because of what R2 has represented in the past that R2 was, was sort of this constant yeah. throughout the saga up right. until the sequel trilogy? Well, he was kind of the string that held everything together,
1: wasn't he? So I didn't understand the necessity to recreate the wheel when they did with BB-8. Now, listen, I'm not condemning BB-8 at all. I like BB-8 a lot, but... The necessity of having a BB-8 in a Star Wars saga film that has now been remonikered the Skywalker saga, R2-D2 is essential. No room for any other droids, really. And BB-8 is a knockoff of R2-D2 to begin with. So I just didn't quite... I couldn't wrap my head around why Disney is making the choices that they're making, Um and there's going to be more about that as we get into the show. There's been some rumors that have popped up recently that uh, kind of tie into this whole conversation. But I was just trying to take everyone's temperature and uh, I'm not trying to condemn the concept of BB8. I'm just trying to understand the necessity of a BB8 in that situation. Um I'm not against taking Star Wars into new t- directions, bringing in new characters and presenting new ideas. It's just that we're talking about Episode Seven of Nine, or I shouldn't say Seven of Nine. That's the the other That's, franchise, like Star Trek, right? But Seven through Nine of a saga, and I just feel like there's been some left turns being made, um, attempts to essentially recreate what Star Wars has always been. And I question uh, using episode seven as a place to launch all that stuff. I think maybe um, it would have been more prudent to recreate Star Wars, or as I said, reinvent the wheel and specifically talking about the relationship between R2 and BB. Um, I think that should have been better put off until, the next round of Star Wars films, the fresh take on Star Wars that we're getting promised by Disney. But at the end of the day, what they were trying to do is create a solid foundation so the legacy characters would be able to hand off the franchise, hand off the Skywalker saga, hand off the episodic Roman numeral chapters of Star Wars to the new Big three, which is Finn, Poe, and Rey. But it didn't quite work out that way. And any ideas for a follow-up trilogy to uh, the sequels uh, in the Skywalker Saga have been completely scrapped at this point. So um, I get the direction they were, they were attempting to go in. But uh, it appears that everything's just kind of blown up in everyone's face. And I don't mean to expose my opinions or try to generate debate about this, um, based on any sort of dislike I have for the characters or for BB eight. I'm just asking why, why did you need to essentially sign a new team when you had the a team ready to go? And I'm not talking about aging actors, Harrison Ford, Carrie Fisher and Mark Hamill. I got a lot of pushback on that. Um, Sure, the actors may have aged, but their characters have also aged as well. And uh, the characters have grown in our hearts over the last 40 years. So I think um, just to cast them aside based on age is silly because there's a lot of fan equity that goes into adoration of those characters, which, in my opinion, outweighs any sort of age factor when you're dealing with Hollywood magic. So um, basically, long story short, I uh, saw this new kitty animated offering that's coming from StarWars.com where they turn all of the Star Wars characters from the sequel trilogy into ball-shaped droids (laughs) like BB-8. And I was looking at that, scratching my head, going... I don't get it. Okay. I I know it's for kids and everything, but I don't get it. And for me Star Wars has always been for kids. Yes, but has it been dumbed down? No. And when I look at the uh the latest offering animated offering where every character becomes BB8 is uh, uh that's what really got my head me scratching my head and and what really motivated me posting that. And I'm so grateful for all the conversations that we had, not only on my own personal facebook page but in the unofficial rebel force radio group uh there was a lot of differing opinions a lot of people agreeing with me a lot of people disagreeing with me even conversations stripping the films down to the essence of artwork and uh (laughs) you know that gets to be a very complicated discussion because what is art that's like the oldest conversation You know, known to man. I mean, there are some people who would even say life itself is art. So where do you differentiate when it comes to art and entertainment? I think there's a big separation. And I would be more likely to qualify Star Wars in the year 2019 as entertainment. Under George Lucas's original vision and his inception of Star Wars, I would consider that art. Everything else from that point forward has become pretty much entertainment.
3: Well, you you said something just a, a moment ago that I thought, wow! Like y- you articulated something that has been on my mind, and and it's a very simple phrase, and it really crystallized to me when you you said it. You said it. It was it was playing down, and we get into this uh, discussion a lot as fans, where those of us who are grown men and women that grew up with the with the saga or or even with the, the prequels now at this point uh, we feel, I think there's a part of us that feels kind of uh, uh, guilty or bad about trying to claim any ownership over star Wars, the memories, you know, all of the the feelings that you have for it because you're like, well, no, but it really is for kids. So like, how should, can I really criticize this? Because it's for kids and I totally get it. But here's the thing. Like, Star Wars never... Its its core audience, I believe, was always kids. I mean, George has been extremely transparent about that. But it didn't play down to kids. It played up to kids. His whole point was playing up to kids so that they ask the big questions, that they um, sort of uh, ex- expand, expand their minds. Um, and this other stuff where it's it's great... And it's nice that kids have this, but Star Wars traditionally hasn't played down to kids. And when it does play down, it's not the best Star Wars. I mean, you can point to moments in the prequels. We thought Jar Jar farting and things like that. That was that was yucks that was playing down to the audience. Yeah. You didn't need that in the original trilogy. There were no fart jokes in the original trilogy. And six year old Jason didn't need a fart joke. Yeah. In uh, Return of the Jedi, for me to be absolutely captivated. So, if you want kids to take something, and I don't want to use the word seriously, because that's that's overstating. But what I mean is, if you want kids to take what you're saying to them with any uh, with any fervor, that, that you know, give it a sense of importance. Which I think we all walked away from Star Wars, particularly as we got older. Um, that that it was really telling us something important. And even maybe as kids, we didn't realize that we were being told something important or being asked important questions, but perhaps primally we, we sort of got it. It's a long way around to saying that I don't believe that Star Wars needs to, when it's running on all cylinders, and it really is myth-making. It doesn't need to play down to kids. It doesn't need to play for cheap laughs. It's, it can be smart, and it can be clever, and it can be whimsical. It can be all these things, but it doesn't need to be cheap, and it doesn't need to uh, be ov- overly cartoony and campy. Mm-hmm. I don't think that that's really ever been... Some, I hear people say once in a while... Uh, well, Star Wars has always been campy. I never found Star Wars campy. Batman with Adam West is campy. I think you need to, you know, redefine what you mean by campy. I didn't find Star Wars
1: campy at no, all. No, no,
3: no, no. I mean, there, but, were, there uh, were moments of, of
1: humor in there and moments of absurdity. But at the end of the day, the the power of the myth overrode all of that. You know, I see a lot of headlines uh, going back over the last few years, uh, things that say, whatever happened to Saturday morning cartoons? Where did all the cartoons for the big kids go? So where is it? (laughs) I mean, it it appears like any sort of animated fare on TV is either absolutely insane or it's absolutely dumb. And it's it's the sad thing is I'm, I'm seeing Star Wars kind of walk that line a lot with yeah. the, with some of the the really goofy animation that they're putting out online. That's, well, here's another I'm not thing. Res, I'm not saying that about Star Wars Resistance, which isn't exactly the most cutting edge stuff out there, but it doesn't. It, I would never
3: call Star Wars Resistance dumb. No, but, I, you know. I wouldn't. I wouldn't call it that either. But you know, the other thing too. So you got. You got these two things going on. You have, you have, you know, the Star Wars kind of reaching down and, and kind of talking down or playing down to the kids uh, to be like, yeah, kids, you're our audience. Yeah, if there's any, uh, if there's any denying it, if there's any questioning it, look how cute this little uh, BBH show is. You've got that going on, and you also have um, the 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 the, ins- the constant following of everything that's trendy. In Star Wars, set trends. Star Wars didn't follow trends. Even the prequel trilogy didn't follow trends. It never followed. It was never. It was a trendsetter. Everything else tried to copy Star Wars. Yes, yeah, Star Wars had its origins in the serials and Wizard of Oz and all that, but they were they were at, at a very different level. It wasn't like, oh, kids like this style of animation. Let's do that TV show. You know, it's, it's very, I don't know. It feels very focus group Mm, sometimes. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. And so this latest thing is called Star Wars Rollout. And it's just really a promo piece for StarWars.com. But it's, it's something that has the blessing of Kathleen Kennedy. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's their attempt to push Star Wars on kids, um, by essentially dumbing down Star Wars, and I don't think that's the right direction to be going in. Not at all. I, mean, I think yeah, Star Wars has always found its its
3: core audience to be universal
1: and ageless.
3: Yeah, you think about the uh, those Lego specials and the early ones, the Yoda Chronicles, and all that. Um, my kids love those. Yeah, that's good uh, stuff. Uh, love those, and I loved them. You know, it, it worked. We had the writer on. He was a uh, Simpsons writer. And his name's escaping me right now. But yeah, uh, Michael Price. Wow. Your yeah. ability to recall <laughs> names is astonishing. <laughs> Michael astonishing. Price. Astonishing. Well, you know. You make me feel like I have dementia sometimes <laughs> when we're doing this show together. <laughs> Honest to God. I I it just I I am awful. As anyone who's ever met me at a convention or whatever or multiple times knows, I'm awful with names. I'm awful with names. Um I once got, I almost, I, I got Jedi Schwa and Sheldon mixed up for the longest time, well, just because they're bald dudes. They're the bald dudes. But you know? anyway, and I know them individually very well. But okay, but, but what we were saying is, with uh, with Price, with his writing, uh, it was it was of that classic Warner Brothers cartoon style where. The kids were getting something on one level. The parents are getting something on another level. And when we interviewed him, I think we had him on more than once. Yeah. Um, we talked to him. We talked about that. And we ta- we, that's one that should, uh, not that I'm trying to give you work, but that, that, that should be unearthed maybe as a, uh, as a YouTube special, those sure. interviews, because he really was very, very smart about the way he went about presenting Star Wars to a new audience, we talked about that quite a bit in the interview, and it was never about talking down. And um, anyway, th- we don't want to. We could debate this stuff. Thanks for the voicemail, um, deregistered nerd in uh, Southern <laughs> California. Uh, you can see it gets us all. It gets us all fired up. But that's the spirit of of conversation and debate. And this podcast, our podcast about Star Wars, has always been about inspiring thought conversation debate and passion about what we love so if you're out there listening to this and you're saying I disagree with everything these two numbskulls said I love the little rolling ball cartoon <laughs> and I love resistance and I love that's great that's totally great it uh, there's there's th- that is the one nice thing about how much Star Wars is out there is there's something for everybody um, but We'll, we, you know, One of the questions we ask ourselves Is it getting watered down And is the true spirit Like the true spirit of Christmas Is the true <laughs> spirit of Star Wars Somehow being yeah. uh, forgotten it's But a anyway, slippery
1: slope my friend It, it,
3: it certainly is yeah. But uh, yeah keep those voicemails coming uh, Let's get into uh, some news here
0: I have good news for you my lord That's good news Come closer I have good news
3: all right, well, um, <laughs> there's a lot of rumors going around. I mean, a ton of rumors from Galaxy's Edge uh, to uh, George Lucas himself, how they tie in together. Uh, we wanted to sort of break this down. Jimmy Mack has done has kept what did Kevin Smith say last week? He's done the Lord's work. <laughs> He's
0: done I the don't Lord's know about work, that. chasing this down. <laughs> but,
3: but, the, but there was a rumor. And it's been published on a, a variety of these uh, websites. It's everywhere. Yeah. That it's all over the place. Mm-hmm. That the reason that Disney has been focusing on their new characters, creating new characters, and abandoning, and it, in some cases literally killing the old characters. I mean, going so far as to have the main antagonist of the sequel trilogy talking about killing the past. Um, all this, there's a conspiracy theory, and I'm someone who occasionally subscribes to conspiracy theories, so I don't say that with any real disdain. So let's put our tinfoil hats on right now and talk about this, because the theory out there is that George Lucas still owns the rights to these canonical. Legacy Star Wars characters and and because of that Disney has to pay George Lucas every time they use one of these characters and so they are losing money They're paying out money every time they have to lean on one of these characters so whenever something like this happens that rocks the Star Wars uh, fan Galaxy we have to call in the big guns and we're talking about the investigative report.
1: Thank you, Jason. I am Jimmy Mack from the Rebel Force Radio investigative report team. Let that one hang out there a little longer than you usual, because I did, did more research than usual on this
3: one. Because oh, I so was... the, the, the amount of pause yeah. is relative to the amount of research. It, I got it,
1: it might be. It might be. Okay, <laughs> I don't know if if you want to be, you know, setting any sort of scientific instruments toward that pause, but uh yeah, it could be. Um so the question is, did George or does George Lucas still get royalties as if paying him 4 billion dollars for the Star B. Wars franchise wasn't enough. There are loopholes. In <laughs> that deal, that still earn George Lucas money for his creations. Um, you know, on first blush, when I hear this, uh, the first thing I think of is uh, fire Bob Iger if he made that deal. <laughs> no, Bob is still sitting happy in his ivory tower. He said he was going to retire in 2015. He's still locked in and fortified. It doesn't appear Bob Iger is going anywhere. So he must have been doing some. Right things along the way. And one of them, I strongly believe, is the deal he cut with George Lucas, which turns over the property to Disney 100%. And I did research and I have evidence to back up my claim that Disney owns Star Wars 100% and there are no royalties being paid to George Lucas. The first thing I think of is the most obvious George Lucas, the landlord. George Lucas owns the buildings where Lucasfilm is currently headquartered. At the Presidio Park in downtown San Francisco in the Letterman Digital Arts Complex. I have a question about
3: this. Formerly a hospital. May may I ask a question? Yes. I thought that George leased that space in the Presidio He He does own
1: it outright. Yes. George Lucas doesn't pay rent to anyone with that kind of money. Why would you? Hmm. Every dime he spends is an investment. He is not throwing money away on monthly rent for anything. George Lucas owns the Presidio complex where Lucasfilm is currently headquartered. And of course, he owns Skywalker Ranch where Skywalker Sound still operates from. So you have Lucasfilm and Industrial Light and Magic headquartered in the LDAC in Presidio, and you have Skywalker Sound headquartered in Skywalker Ranch in Marin County. And Disney pays George Lucas rent to run their business out of those locations. So George is still making money off of Disney, after the deal and if Disney were afraid or frosted because they still have to cut checks to George Lucas, they would have moved Lucasfilm entirely out of the Bay area and down to Burbank in Southern California. That would have already happened. And I still, I still think that will happen, but it hasn't happened yet. So if Disney is trying to cut corners by not using George Lucas created characters in their theme parks and films and animated series, then they would have already moved everyone out of San Francisco at this point. I think that's obvious. That's the, that's the one thing that really sticks out to me, but I had to get some more solid evidence, some more solid information because You know, Lucasfilm was a privately owned company for a long, long time, and it was purchased by a major corporation. So there's a there's a lot of information that's still kind of in the gray area. It's it's, it's, you can't figure out what's going on because george didn't make all the details about his company publicly available to anyone so there are some guessing games going on here so i look at some articles going back uh, to closer when the actual sale was finalized between disney and lucasfilm the first thing i pulled up is an article from bloomberg going back to january 2013 and uh, here's a quote from that article Iger wanted to make sure that Lucas, who was used to controlling every aspect of Star Wars from set design to lunchboxes, understood that Disney, not Lucasfilm, would have final say over any future movies. We needed to have an understanding that if we acquire the company, despite tons of... Oh, oh this is um, Alan Horn speaking here. Alan Horn, chairman of Walt Disney Studios, and, and basically uh, Bob Iger's number one, okay? Alan says, we needed to have an understanding that if we acquire the company, despite tons of collegial, that means, you know, um, civilized, civilized conversation between two respected entities, collegial conversations and collaboration. At the end of the day, we have to be the ones who sign off on whatever the plans are, says Alan Horn. Mm -hmm. So right there, Alan is indicating that. The deal for Star Wars would never have gone down if there were any loopholes still giving power to Lucasfilm or George Lucas. And George wanted to stay with his own company at this point in time. Keep in mind, George wanted to be involved in Star Wars filmmaking and he wanted to continue to operate out of Lucasfilm. But he uh, felt that the collaboration wasn't there. So he bailed and went on Charlie Rose's show and called Disney white slavers and all this stuff. Because <laughs> he was bitter. George was upset. Yeah, he really was. He wanted he to really continue was. to work on Star Wars without the overhead of and headaches of having to run a film company. Yeah,
3: he, he wa- was going
1: to have a real sweet situation there. That's what he thought. And he yeah. was orchestrating everything to... M- you know, put him in that position. He withheld Uh his story treatments. He, uh, needed to get respect. He, He needed to build trust over the negotiation period with Disney. And there have been papers written at Harvard and elsewhere about the amount of trust that had to be built between these two entities before a deal could be finalized. I researched all of this stuff. So that's uh, and I did watch that Charlie Rose interview again too, just to see if George at his most bitter moment. Because George comes off is very glib in that entire interview, very, mm. very much so. Finger yeah. pointing, all kind of stuff. Very bitter. Yeah, it's ugly. It's, bitter. it's
3: hard to watch because it's a side of George yeah. that we're just not accustomed to seeing. It is hard to watch.
1: Charlie puts him through the ringer. Charlie uh, does not lay off the throttle with him, and and Charlie Rose actually appears to be rather frustrated with George Lucas from time to time in that interview too. Was but. Charlie wearing pants? <laughs> he was wearing. He was. He was wearing okay. like he was wearing right. like a, a pair of Keds gym shoes from nineteen seventy three
3: while he was talking. <laughs> it was really <laughs> well, weird. I, well, it was maybe just sort of in tribute to George. But, no, you know, no, we no. Know. You
1: could tell somebody told Charlie, listen, you're going to go interview George at the ranch. You're going to be walking around the ranch a lot. You're going to be on your feet a lot. Wear comfortable shoes. So Charlie pulled out a shoebox from 1973, and uh, you could see him
3: there with his khakis and blue gym shoes. Well, and he called his assistant in to see what she thought of the shoes, and that's all he was wearing at the time.
1: That's it. it was just yeah, well, the shoes. Yeah. Well, Charlie Rose, of course, How do these him.
3: look? Yeah, Char- Charlie <laughs>
1: did uh, feel the uh, impact of uh, hashtag Me Too, and uh, I don't think he is uh, currently professionally operating anymore. But he, he and Matt
3: Lauer do a morning zoo show on the radio. Oh,
1: he and Matt Lauer, you said, <laughs> Yeah.
3: <laughs> produced by Harvey Weinstein.
1: <laughs> but I, I, I'm telling you, you know, I mean, strip all that away. There yeah. are... There are things in Charlie Rose's career you have to look at and you have to uh, evaluate on face value. And one of those things is his ability to bring out the most of his interview subjectees. Yeah,
3: for sure. So you're saying that in this interview, and it's been a long time since I watched it, he's showing frustration with George's uh, attitude? I think he shows the most
1: frustration with George's aloofness, his inability to give a straight and real answer to the questions. So Mm. he keeps chiseling away at that, chiseling away at that until about the 45 minute mark George calls Disney white slavers. (laughs) And at that point, Charlie (laughs) realized he had achieved his goal.
3: Yeah. "Ah, (laughs) Here's Charlie. Here's
1: my headline. Yeah. You you hear in Charlie's head. He's like, I broke him. You know, you know, you, that's what's going on. So, um, okay. So those are a couple, uh, examples right there, but I have another one. This one is my best one. It comes from the Hollywood reporter, May 31st, 2013, you know, about a little more over a half year after the deal had been finalized between the Walt Disney company and Lucasfilm completing its 4 billion acquisition of the star Wars brand. Disney's lead attorney, a gentleman by the name of Brian McCarthy, uh, faced a daunting task. I'm going to read this article right here from Hollywood Reporter. The daunting task was figuring out whether George Lucas actually owned the rights to Han Solo, Lando Calrissian, and and about 10,000. Thousand characters and elements from the six Star Wars movies and their various offshoots, McCarthy narrowed the tax down to two hundred and ninety primary copyrighted characters to sort through them all. He assembled a legal team of bona fide Star Wars fans. Code names were employed to keep office chatter to a minimum. They started the process in June twenty twelve and crunch time came during a six week period beginning in August. 2012 when as many as 20 employees from $500 an hour partners to less expensive paralegals poured over a complex chain of title documents related to star Wars and Lucasfilm. So the legwork was being done. 290 primary copyrighted characters were vetted to make sure that when George Lucas sold star Wars to Disney, he was also Transferring the rights and ownership of all of those characters, all of those planets, all of those ships, all of those stories, everything to the Disney Company, and they had top lawyers working
3: on it. So, um, well, was it wait, now? Wait a minute, though. Was it more about that 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 George was that George was doing that, or was it more to make no, sure no, 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 no. that no one in George's past? has made a claim to those yes, yes, yes. characters, situations, etc. everything. Everything.
1: Okay. All right. They wanted to so make like, sure they had a clear path yeah, once those papers George owned were signed, all this stuff 100%. Yes. They yeah. did the legwork. Yeah. So um, McCarthy right. says, this is once again Brian McCarthy, the lead attorney of the Walt Disney Company. He says, George had a history of associations with different people who had different rights. So sorting that all out was our biggest challenge. Like anything else in the entertainment industry, if something becomes successful, everybody puts their hands up. So over the years, there were people who put up their hands. So they needed to smooth out all that. Not only the characters that George himself created and claimed ownership of, but any sort of ancillary element in Star Wars that maybe the estate of Ralph McQuarrie could claim ownership of or a Joe Johnston or a Lorne Peterson or someone who actually worked on those films. They wanted to make sure that George Lucas himself had all of the rights. So when the transfer happened, Disney
3: would own Star Wars
1: outright. Without on this points. just
3: in, I just got an email from voice actor Michael Bell. Rebel Force Radio, are you sure I don't have any of these rights to these <laughs> characters? Uh, I, <laughs> I, don't, I don't think so, Michael. I think, yeah. um, Move along. I don't think. Move along.
1: All right. I know what you're referencing. We talked to voice actor Michael Bell years ago. Excuse me. What are you eating? I'm sorry. Michael just walked in here with a slice of pizza for me. I should not be using my oh,
3: I, oh, I know. That's right. Yeah, we talked to Star Wars actor Michael Bell uh, years ago, and it's, it's been kind of a, a meme, a funny joke. I have utmost respect for him. I mean, my God, he's the voice of Duke. Uh, he's the voice of one half of the Wonder Twins on uh, uh, Super Friends. But, but he had reached out to us um, because he did some um, ADR work on A New Hope. Back in the 1976. Right. And he thought that we might have contacts at Lucasfilm that could uh, help him get a little piece of that pie. Right, right. So naturally, he was just looking for royalties based on his work on the film
1: as an actor, not right. ownership as a creator of that character. I couldn't resist. Okay. Of course. But George, and you can hear that Michael Bell interview if you... Uh, Go to uh, the Rebel Force Radio YouTube channel and uh, look for it in the cantina. So, um, but back to uh, George and his ownership of these characters. Obviously, everything was being uh, vetted out and discovered as far as what George actually was selling to Disney. They weren't going to give him $4 billion unless they knew exactly what they were going to get. And so uh, the article continues. Working with George Lucas's lawyers at Latham and Watkins, McCarthy's team, remember, McCarthy is the Disney attorney, McCarthy's team researched all copyright assignments and distribution agreements. The team eventually determined that all the important copyrights were intact and available to sell to Disney, save for the distribution rights for the original Star Wars film, which we all know reverted into Disney's control with their acquisition of Fox earlier this year. Fox obviously had the distribution rights for the original Star Wars film, but now Fox is owned by the Walt Disney Company. So they own everything when it comes to Star Wars.
3: You and- know what this reminds me of, Jim, a little bit, is when, when Ian Fleming uh, sold the film rights to James Bond... To Eon Productions, but what Eon didn't know is that there was this other guy mm-hmm. called named Kevin McClory, right. who had sat on the beach in Jamaica with Ian Fleming and brainstormed a, a, a film idea, and some of those things became Blowfeld, Spectre, etc. So when it came time for them to uh, continue using. Those characters in the film writes, uh, in the films, this Kevin McClory guy goes, no, 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 no. Those were my ideas. Yeah, yeah. And, and So and, they wanted to make sure that something like that right. didn't happen to uh, George Lucas. And of course, George is notorious
1: for his demand of ownership of his characters and his film. That's why he split off from Hollywood. That's why he created his own company and funded all of his own films because maybe he was familiar with that McClory-Fleming story and said, that's not going to happen to me. I'm going to make right. sure anyone who collaborates on Star Wars films signs the proper paperworks releasing those ideas to my ownership. And I'm sure that that's how George Lucas operated for decades, Especially when it came to Star Wars. He was ultra protective of Star Wars. And so I believe he maintained and retained ownership of all the ideas, everything that happened in those films. Lucasfilm lawyers have been notorious over the years for shaking down anyone who tried to test that. So, George, when he sold Star Wars to Disney, there were no loopholes that left anything off the table. There's one thing I did discover online. It's a post from January 9th, 2016 on quora.com. Have you heard of Quora? Mm, I have. It, it's it's like uh one of those um, websites that will answer any question you have, right? <laughs> right. Based on its um, it's it's its uh, knowledge bank of uh listener posts or reader posts, etc. And on quora.com I found this. It said, in October 2012, George Lucas sold Lucasfilm for $4 billion. When he sold Lucasfilm, he also sold his rights to directly make money off of new Star Wars projects and Indiana Jones projects, etc. He would be entitled to some royalties under Writers Guild rules for creating the original characters. So I I saw this and and I'm like, wow, that's from years ago. Somebody posted that up on Quora.com. They must obviously know that George is entitled to some royalties for creating original characters due to Writers Guild rules, okay? However, here's the the problem I have with that. Is George Lucas still protected by the Writers Guild, the WGA, the Writers Guild of America? Is George still... Are the protections of that union still extending to a George Lucas? The reason I ask that question is because in 1991, George Lucas famously withdrew from two unions, the Directors Guild of America and the Writers Guild of America. That was way back in 1981. That's when George completed his clean cut from Hollywood altogether. And he was not. Do you remember one of the reasons why he did that? Well, because he put the credits. He didn't put yes, credits at the beginning right? of the original Star Wars film. I know it sounds absurd to think of nowadays when, with a lot of movies, you don't get any. Sometimes you don't even get the title till after the film is is ended. But uh, George, uh, it was revolutionary at the time. George did not put credits at the beginning of Star Wars and just dropped us right into the story. Because of that, the and that direct- was a sin back yeah. then. Yeah. So he was able to um distance himself from the unions at that time, but when it came time for Empire Strikes Back to come around, everyone was on to him. And I believe the the directors guild and the writers' guild threatened George Lucas uh by saying, We will kick you out if you don't Number one, put the credits at the front of the movie. And number two, credit the director right at the top. Because those were the rules at the time. Right. And George said, I am revolutionizing cinema. Excuse me, I'm not paying dues to your unions anymore. And he walked so how does someone who is not a member of the union still get protected by any sort of rules or negotiations that the union has made with the studios? It doesn't happen. Believe me, well, I, I know for a fact because I was never in a broadcast union and I tried to cite broadcast union rules to several radio Program directors, etc. Over the years, and uh, every once in a while, I get one of them go. But you're not in the union. <laughs> oh
2: well, you know. I mean,
1: <laughs> you know that was always the red flag. That was always the that was always the point where I had to step away because I realized yeah. I wasn't afforded the protections of being in the union because I don't pay dues and I'm not a member of of uh, well, the broadcast
3: unions. So, Jim, if I may, I have I have two. Pieces of evidence that I would like to enter to the uh, to the court here All that right. would perhaps
1: challenge my findings. Challenge
3: your 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 findings. All right. Um, now I, I'm hold on. Let me again. Remember the pause is relative to the amount of research. So I'm Jason Swank here with the Rebel Force Radio Investigative Report Team. No pause. No pause. All right. Um, <laughs> So that's, but I have two things. And and perhaps uh, this is more of a uh, cross examination than it is actually uh, entering in. I can take it. I can take it. Yeah, I can take Um, it. Let's go. However, so I did some research of of my own Mm -hmm. when I saw this was a topic. And I went to the Writers Guild of America website. And because my question was do you need to be a member of the guild in order to get credit? And according to the website, the FAQ section of the website, the answer is no, that guild membership is not a requirement to receive credit. That if you work under the guild jurisdiction, which would be the area where the guild is in operation, you will be eligible to be a participating writer and seek credit in accordance with the guild's credit procedures. So in order to receive credit, you do not need to be a member mm-hmm. of the guild. Okay. That would be one thing I would throw at you. Mm-hmm. The other thing that I would throw at you, despite all of the incredible evidence and, and truthful uh, facts that you have presented about what a control fanatic George has been over his Star Wars property, there is one area that we know has famously given Lucasfilm difficulty when it comes to creating new Star Wars and that's the music the John Williams music and the rights that control that music does cost Lucasfilm money when they want to use it that's one of the reasons why it has been used so sparsely in some of the animated mm-hmm. projects etc so those two things I would just throw at you as evidence that could support the idea that Disney may have entered this agreement still knowing Mm-mm. that it did owe George Lucas no way. some royalties. No way. Because you know why
1: I know that is a fallacy is because the Disney lawyers know all the ins and outs of this stuff. And there is no way in hell they're paying two, $4 billion to a guy only to get some of the franchise 290 characters primary copyrighted characters were vetted by the disney lawyers and they determined that all the important copyrights were intact all and i will accept that report from the hollywood reporter may 31st 2013 Story about all of uh, George uh, Lucas's lawyers and the Disney lawyers. I am taking that on face value before I take a rumor from a YouTuber. <laughs> on face value, I, I just I, I can't I, I I when I put I put them on the scales and it, it tips in one way and one way only and that is with the mainstream media. Uh, this is a, uh, all based out of uh, some some YouTubers uh, rants about a rumor you heard from somebody. Uh, no, no way in hell did Disney buy. George Lucas's Star Wars without gaining the 100% usable rights to Luke Skywalker, Han Solo, Chewbacca, R2, 3PO, Princess Leia, Darth Vader. And has Marvel been shy about featuring any of those characters in any of the Star Wars comic books? No. Is Disney currently developing an Indiana Jones film? The main protagonist is 100% a Lucas, well, a Lucas and Spielberg creation. But George is the one who originally came up for Indiana Smith. (laughs) So I call him Smith. That's where the lawyers Uh got George. Oh, you Uh invented Indiana Smith, not Jones. (laughs) No, no, no. That's crazy talk. This rumor is crazy talk. $4 billion. That buys everything. That buys everything. Without another nickel. Without another nickel to George. Now, of course, George is the landlord. He still charges them to run their operations out of Presidio Park and Skywalker Ranch. But that's not going to go on. That's just not going to go on. If Disney is going to start pinching pennies when it comes to Star Wars, the first thing they're going to do is move everyone out of the Bay Area and down to Burbank under their own roof. That's the first thing they're going to do. Hemming and hawing over usage of essential Star Wars characters after they pay George Lucas $4 billion is not even on the table. It's fallacy. It's 100% fiction. 100% fiction. All right.
3: I think you've done a great job of proving this case. So do you have ideas as to what the answer is? So why? Why recreate R two D two? Okay. Why kill off all these characters? Well, you know. Why say no to any of these uh, standalone films that would, uh, ex- you know, uh, give us more of these legacy characters? Why? 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 Well, it's you know a lot of that stuff
1: has already been revealed in um, behind the books uh, stories about uh, the making of. The Force Awakens and the relationship between Michael Arndt and JJ Abrams and Lawrence Kasdan and the difficulties the 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 challenges they ran into when reintroducing these characters into the film the challenges that they ran into i don't think they're challenges that fans would have run into necessarily but it's mm. as screenwriters mm. mm-hmm. as screenwriters these guys ran into problems because they were given a directive from Lucasfilm to make the female protagonist the Main focus spotlight Ray throughout the entire film. They wanted to make sure that Ray was the focus of the entire film, and that is why you don't have these legacy characters finding themselves in the spotlight so much. Let me point you to this uh, interview here that I, like I said, I did tons, tons of research on this. And I wanted to hear from all different angles. And uh, it led me to this, uh, these comments uh, that were made by Michael Arndt, the original screenwriter for the force awakens. And uh, these quotes appear in an interview on uh the Writers Guild of America website. Oh, okay. So yeah. okay. So I mean, so, I I mean you know, this is this is real deal stuff here. Um <laughs> let me uh scan through this. we are getting of course, a lot of
3: free plugs here, the, yeah, the Writers WGA, Guild here.
1: Yeah, right. yeah on Rebel Force Radio. It's an interview with Lawrence Kasdan, JJ Abrams, and Michael Arndt. and this took place after the release of The Force Awakens in December twenty fifteen. And here's where they talk a little bit about the difficulties in using the legacy characters in the sequel films. Um, Oh, is this audio? No, I wish it was. God, I would love to have audio of this. Okay, they talk about the Falcon... So okay, okay. here Harold, it is, here it is, here it is, okay. here it is. I mean, and th- this is very telling stuff, Jason. This is so telling because the question comes up, like, why isn't R2, you know, why is R2 under a tarp and everything? The qu- Here, I'm going to read uh, th- this quote from Michael Arndt from the WGA.org website. It's asking the question about what happened to Luke. I'll just say very quickly that early on I tried writing versions of the movie where the girl is at home her home gets destroyed she goes on the road she meets Luke and then she goes and kicks the bad guy's ass it just never worked I struggled with this this was back in 2012 I just felt like every time Luke came in and entered the movie he just took over suddenly you didn't care about your main character anymore because it's like oh F Luke Skywalker's here I want to see what he's going to do this was like a huge Thing I feel so bad for J.J. because it was like, the good news is you got to make a Star Wars movie. But the bad news is we had a long conversation about this and J.J. so much wanted to have Luke Skywalker in this movie. But to finally say again, anytime Luke showed up, it suddenly became his movie. So you had to push it to the very end. And once you made that decision, then you go back to R2 and you go. What does this mean for R2? It was just this thing that he hadn't been the same since Master Luke left. I mean, we had a gazillion scenarios about plugging into the information base on the Death Star, and that's how he was able to get the full map and where all the Jedi temples were and stuff like that. So now I'm going to editorialize. Basically, handcuffing Luke Skywalker because of the sake that it's not his movie anymore— Because when he was featured in the film, it suddenly became his film, was determined by the filmmakers very early on that that would be a mistake. Even Arndt says he feels sorry for J.J. because J.J. wanted to include Luke Skywalker in The Force Awakens, but he just couldn't. Why couldn't he? Why couldn't he? Was it because... It didn't work to have Luke Skywalker on screen. No, it's because Luke Skywalker took away the spotlight from Ray. And what was the directive given from Kathleen Kennedy and all of the suits at Lucasfilm to the creatives? Make sure Ray is in the spotlight constantly. This isn't Luke Skywalker's movie. This isn't Han Solo's movie. This is Ray's movie. That's where it comes from.
3: That's the quote that I remember, and that was that was the sort of the damning quote where I, I, when I heard that I thought, well, you know what, Michael, JJ, if you can't do it, let's find someone who can.
1: Well, it's not the case that JJ can't do it. JJ wanted to do it. The directives are coming from
3: upstairs and you know, who's sitting upstairs. Well, I do remember that the, you know, famously the quote, or the question, I should say, that was asked of J.J. by Kathleen Kennedy to get him to finally say yes to helming the movie was, who is Luke Skywalker? Right. Who is Luke Skywalker? And when we heard that going in, we thought, wow, we're really gonna, going to explore who Luke Skywalker is. Right. And then when it happened, we saw the movie, and he's only in the last you know 30 seconds Well, that doesn't answer who Luke Skywalker is. No, and
1: there is no Luke Skywalker. I mean, that that question, who is Luke Skywalker, is irrelevant when it comes to talking about Episode 7. Because the state of the galaxy at that point is, Luke Skywalker's a myth. Luke Skywalker didn't exist. Is that what we wanted to see? A Luke Skywalker that that is faded from relevance?
3: That's the Luke we're being presented with. A Luke Skywalker is faded from relevance. But was that was that the answer to the question? So, you know, J.J. never answers it for us. He said the question that was asked to me by Kathleen Kennedy that got me to say yes was who is Luke Skywalker? What if the answer was Luke Skywalker is a myth? Luke Skywalker is a specter of the past. That was
1: proven incorrect in J.J. J. Abrams' original Version of the Force Awakens. Ray knew exactly what Luke Skywalker was all about the second she saw him, before he turned around and removed his hood, before she handed him that lightsaber. She was to approach a Luke Skywalker Anaktu who was staring out into the ocean, heavy in meditation, connecting with the Force, and surrounding him were boulders that Luke was lifting via the Force and his connection, which Upon viewing that, Ray would have known right away well, this Luke Skywalker is not a myth. He is strongly connected to the Force yeah. and it's not a fairy tale. But Ryan Johnson insisted for his story to be told, those boulders needed to be removed and Luke needed to be just staring out. There was no indication as to his connection to the Force at all. Because as we know, when episode eight starts, Lucas cut himself off from the force right, right. Vastly
3: different from the story J.J. J. Abrams was attempting to tell Where does that come from? I'm not, I'm not like asking you to cite your source but I, I'm asking you to cite your source because I want to I read that for myself. Do you remember where that, where that comes well, from? Is that in the Art from, of Force Awakens? I, I
1: believe it does come from the Art of Force Awakens book okay. um,
3: uh, I'm not doubting it at all but I, that's interesting because I don't remember hearing about the the boulders it might have been in the commentary track ah, that JJ okay.
1: supplied for the Blu ray release or the 3D Blu ray release. Wow. I'm just, well, po- this is Luke with boulders. Um, <laughs> I, I <laughs> just punched it in there? and uh, I have an article here. Oh, Hamill told Empire Magazine. Oh, okay, here is Floating Rocks. I'm just- I had
3: boulders. <laughs> um,
1: Hamill told Empire Magazine. There was something that happened at the end of The Force Awakens when I'm standing on the cliff. I called Ryan in a panic because it was all wrong. He said, it's okay. I spoke to JJ and he's taken that scene out. It just didn't match up with what Ryan had written. It was only after the release uh, of the film that we learned. It was Mark. He told the, the Chinese press. Luke Skywalker would have been surrounded by floating boulders as Ray looked on, lightsaber outstretched. It would have been a cool visual, and it makes sense, given that Luke is a super-powerful Jedi Master. When I read The Last Jedi before The Force Awakens came out, I said, what? This is Hamill again. I called J.J. and Ryan and said, are you guys aware of this? Have you seen a cut? Is there floating boulders? Hamill recalled, and they said, no, we caught that, and we worked it all out. So the the character of Luke Skywalker went through fundamental changes, not even when The Last Jedi came out. Before that, in the editing process for Episode 7, the original story was modified to connect with where Ryan Johnson was taking the character of Luke in The Last Jedi. So, you know... Um,
3: <sighs> See, this is the kind of stuff. Um, the only thing I have what? to say is... <laughs> Puff pig! Puffer pig, check it out. Puffer pig. Uh, you know, th- w- look, this is stuff that's just going to continue going on and on and on, and, and it's, it's a, it is it's it is a, part of the the new reality of being a, a Star Wars fan, particularly one that has seen the whole saga unfold. Um and it's it's fascinating i mean there is such an incredible story to be told someday we've talked about you know the the the, the history or the, the, the making of uh, rogue 1 everything that went on there the you know george lucas's treatments for the sequel trilogy being abandoned uh this is someday this whole story has to be told uh, the problem is that disney's buying up all the production companies so There's not going to be anybody left to tell the story, (laughs) but it's um, it is fascinating stuff. And it is certainly not told to to denigrate anybody, but it is certainly uh, very relevant as we are just sort of dissecting and continue to analyze the last um, half dozen years of this new world that we find ourselves in as as star wars fans it's just it fascinates me it really does and i said on the show last week that i'm very ready for episode nine and i i i mean that i'm ready for episode nine because i'm ready to see how this thing wraps up and you know i i i have to confess that there was a huge part of me that just as i've said on the show many times i 'm not ready for the Skywalker saga to end and nobody was asking for that i don 't know anybody it was like, yeah, you, can you wrap up this Skywalker stuff? Everybody wanted to see more of it everybody you know i i um was was reading an article and I, I i'd give credit if I could recall who who it was but um you know it was the whole you had one job meme you know it was that it was you had one job. Han, Luke, Leia, together, one last adventure. That's what everybody wanted to see, yeah. right? Yeah. And and, uh, if you listen
1: to old episodes of our podcast, we were all talking about that. We were all talking about the big moment when they all get together, maybe in the Falcon cockpit or in the main hold or something, just some sort were of connection. so naive back then. <laughs> just give us some sort of connection. Ooh.
3: But they made it a lot harder on themselves, yes. I think, than they had to. And, and getting back to the directive that uh, Michael Arndt was given, that was an imposed limitation that he had. That was imposed upon him. Yeah. He kept coming back saying, look, no matter what I do, every time I, I write this character into a scene, he steals the show. Well, of course he does. He's one of the most iconic characters in film history. How would he not steal the show? You know, every time I put Dorothy in one of these scenes with the uh, the Scarecrow, <laughs> she they just steal the show. What's going on here? You know, <laughs> well, of course they're going to. Um, icon, you know, it's used to, it's used a lot, but it it, it means something, and um, it, it certainly with these characters, it's it's something that they should have known going in that that there's no way that you can really do this without uh I mean I think about you know Star Trek Generations is an example and I I think Picard is a is a was a great character and Patrick Stewart is a fabulous actor um but I'm sorry every time he's on screen with William Shatner in Generations I'm looking at Shatner. Mm -hmm. I'm looking at Captain Kirk. And there's nothing wrong with it. it. There is nothing wrong with
1: that based on your decades of fan
3: vestment into that character. Right. Right. At that point, Picard hadn't really earned the kind of uh, importance that the Kirk character had. Um, And you're going to compare any new character, Kylo, Ray, Poe, Finn, any of them, to Han, Luke, Leia, they're not going to have that. Not, they haven't earned it. That's the point. They haven't earned it. So until the character earns it, they're not going to be given that kind of um, uh, moment with those characters uh, on the screen. So, uh, you know, if, if, you, if the goal was to, to use a pro wrestling term, uh, put over these new characters... Then, you know, it's like, you know, you got to turn Hulk Hogan heel if you want to put over the new good guy, the new baby face um, in the league. So you turned, you know, essentially turned Luke Skywalker heel. You killed off Han Solo. Princess Leia made the decision for us, unfortunately. And there you go. Um, So anyway, that. All really, really, really good conversation. We could go all night, but we've got more to talk about here. I just wanted uh, to
1: settle that rumor that's out sure. there that somehow the Disney Corporation isn't incorporating classic characters because they might have to throw George Lucas a couple bucks. Number one, if if that were true, I've seen numbers out there being floated around like, yeah, George gets 25% of the box office. If they oh, use his characters, on. well, I, I got news for you. There ain't nobody making twenty five percent of the box office, whether they be the director, the writer, whoever. <laughs> no, nobody's making that much. No individual is pulling in that kind of take on any no. sort of film
3: ever. The pie is cut up in much smaller pieces. No, than no, God, you,
1: any. you hear stories about yeah, he gave uh, three quarters of a percentage point to
3: this guy, <laughs> yeah. and
1: he made bajillions off of it. But that's why well, couldn't. It,
3: that's all they I have to share, you know. I couldn't help but wonder as you were talking about all this—is wh- wh- where does Spielberg fit in? Didn't he get uh, a couple of points on this stuff? Well, he should have Or half a point. You know, they made that bet about Close Encounters sure. and in Star Wars. You know, I'm thinking, did he sell the? He's like, I didn't sell my rights, George. Did you sell my rights? I don't know how all that stuff works. It's well, Indiana
1: Jones is probably one of those characters. If you want to apply this rumor, that would be, you know, seriously considered to be something that is property of both Lucas and Spielberg. But in reality, it's 100%. That character is 100% property of the Walt Disney Corporation, as is every Star Wars character. Don't make excuses. Don't look for reasons why these characters aren't being used. It's all just. These are decisions being made about the way that this the the, the franchise is going to be moving forward.
3: Yeah. It's clear that uh, I think just by anybody knows anything about George Lucas, it's obvious that Indiana Jones is a character that George created. Spielberg helped break the story for Raiders of the Lost Ark and then directed the movie. Mm-hmm. That was his involvement. Yeah. So uh, on the beaches of Hawaii, no less. Right. Um, Building sandcastles. So we've, we've got um, quite a bit left here on the rundown. Yeah, we do. Do we want to go into the the other rumor slash conspiracy theory? Do you want to save that for I next don't, week? I don't
1: really have anything to say about it, but I, other than just to address the absurdity of it.
3: Um, all right.
1: Uh, Galaxy's Edge. <laughs> <laughs> this is the craziest rumor I've heard lately. All right. So everyone is aware of all the reports of... Um, Attendance at Disney and Galaxy's Edge being less than predicted. Everyone knows about that, okay? Ooh. And there's a million different reasons for why that's
3: happening. A
1: million different reasons,
3: steeped deep in reality, okay? Um, right. For those of you though out there that are saying that that's a conspiracy, that that's f- made up, it's not. It Bob Iger himself addressed it right. on the uh, on the call. Yeah, it's a fact. Attendance is down. Yeah.
1: Period. They strategized it so it would be that way. I mean, they didn't want it to be that way, but they cultivated a reality that brought attendance down at Disneyland this summer. I predict no one is going to be talking about those numbers after Galaxy's Edge. At Walt Disney World at the uh, Hollywood Studios in Orlando opens, I think that thing is going to be massively... I think you're going to get the crowds there that they were expecting at Disneyland this summer. That they're just simply not getting for, again, as I said, a variety of situations and, and realities. I, I don't see the uh, Orlando Park facing that sort of... Uh, Those attendance numbers to be lower than predicted. Now, if that does happen, then I'll really be scratching my head because it doesn't make any sense again. And and if, if it does fail in Orlando to bring in the large crowds, I will again point to the hike in cost for a ticket to go to the park. I I think Disney has really done a number on themselves. The admissions cost. Yeah, the admissions cost to get into the park is, Mm -hmm. I think they're outpricing the marketplace, quite honestly. Uh, It's it's corporate greed at its most sloppiest, let's just (laughs) say, you know. But, I mean, Disney is a company that's working with a lot of confidence right now, and uh, they've been making a lot of money over the last five, ten years. So, uh, you know. It it only seems inevitable that that bubble is going to burst on them. And we've sort of seen it happen, at least with Galaxy's Edge launch in Disneyland. Um, But, uh, you know, I I think this will be a mute subject after uh, the opening in Orlando. We shall see. But the big rumor here floating around is that the Disney suits are so shocked and stunned by... uh, the attendance being below predictions, that they're actually considering bailing from Star Wars Galaxy's (laughs) Edge. This thing's been in development for five years. It's cost millions and millions of dollars. It's been developed by some of the top creative minds at both Disney, Imagineering, and Lucasfilm, guys like Doug Chang. Um, They spent a lot of money researching and building Galaxy's Edge. Because the opening few months have been earning less attention than expected. Uh, The rumor now is that Disney is considering flipping the Galaxy's Edge environment into an Aladdin-based experience. Aladdin! Because the Aladdin movie with uh, Will Smith, that did pretty well. That did great box office for Disney this summer. Huge! But do you think they're going to use... Recent box office success of the live-action Aladdin to change the plans they have set in place since essentially 2012 overnight. What would they call that land? Overnight, I,
3: something like uh, a whole new world. <laughs>
1: that's it. Yeah, a whole new Galaxy's Edge. So, um, so no, I, I I can't even tell you how little confidence I have in that kind of rumor. That is some, some fan speculation gone just completely amuck, And, uh, there is not a chance in hell anyone has had the conversation about converting Galaxy's Edge at this point in history. After it's only been open for a couple of months, converting it into Aladdin Land—that ain't happening. That is not happening. That is the—I mean—that makes me laugh. That is such a silly. Well, I I mean,
3: Lion King has uh, out box office already Aladdin. So why aren't they talking about it being, you know, Pride Rock from Galaxy's Edge to Pride Rock? Why Aladdin? What a weird. I don't get that. That's the goofiest thing I've heard. Yeah. 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 No, I I, I don't believe it. I think that the rumor was actually if the source of the rumor was the relative of an employee. (laughs) So there you go. Uh, That's like, uh, you know, you you read in politics and they're like, yeah, a a person familiar with the matter. Hey, you know, my friend Jessica, who uh, she serves
1: uh, Cokes over at the uh, Hungry Bear restaurant. Um, (laughs) She heard um, from a very uh, reliable source that they're going to turn Galaxy's Edge into Aladdin Land. Uh, she would know. <laughs> she would know. This, this, oh, this is legit. Aladdin land. <laughs> Come on. Get, 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 what are you? Whatever you're smoking, pass it over here. Yeah. All right, because it ain't happening. Galaxy's Edge is not going to flip to Aladdin land.
3: Aladdin land. <laughs> um, all right, let's, uh, let's talk a little bit about uh, the future of Star Wars here. Uh, Star Wars Resistance is getting a second season, but to many surprise... It's the second and final season. So the trailer dropped this week for the Emmy Award-nominated series, Star Wars Resistance, as it returns for its second and final season starting October 6th on uh, Disney Channel and Disney Now. Um, So as we know, we are in the... uh, During the... Now, wait a minute. Hold on a second. Am I reading this right? Hold on. What's that? (laughs) Um. The concluding season takes place during the events of The Last Jedi. Yeah. Leading up to The Rise of Skywalker. Now, the first season was the events leading up to The Force Awakens. Right. So now we are leapfrogging. We're going over The Force. So The Force Awakens has already happened.
1: not, Not necessarily leapfrogging, because they did feature that moment on the show where the characters reacted to the destruction of Hassium Prime right. by yes, Star Killer Base and so that happened just prior to the season 1
3: finale. Good point. And that you know as we know there's seconds between. Yeah the the two movies okay so that lines up all right very good thank you for uh talking me off that ledge so we got the kaz and the team they continue to fight against the threat of the first order so this is the series finale um so you know i have been i will say this about resistance i know that the animation style is uh not everyone's favorite uh i've been very friendly to the style i like the style of animation uh i'm a I was really excited about the, uh, the new line of action figures, uh, the five inch figures coming out that are sort of that, um, star Wars galaxy, uh, the, the, webisodes mm-hmm. that style. I'm a big fan of the Disney exclusive toy box line inspired by the uh, Disney infinity game. So I really love to see star Wars characters. Um, the Genndy stuff. I love to see them in different, uh, styles. Love it. um, so my problem has never been with the animation. My problem has just been I f- I found the show to be uh kind of boring yeah. to be to be honest with you. Yeah. And and I don't think that um when you look at the 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 way that Star Wars animation has evolved, you started with the Clone Wars which by the time it wrapped was not just a high point for Star Wars storytelling, but it was really a high point for episodic animation. I mean, it was it was just brilliant. Now it had episodes that were forgettable and filler stuff, and you can listen to each and every commentary we ever made on every episode of the Clone Wars uh, in our archives and on our YouTube channel. But it was when it was brilliant; it was brilliant. And then he got into Rebels. And Rebels had... Rebels was smart. Not brilliant. It was smart. And I really like the way that it sort of, you know, the way Dave Filoni finessed that sort of conclusion to the Clone Wars and weaved those story threads in and out of Rebels. That was actually very, very smart. Then we get to uh, Resistance. And there's just absolutely no trace, in, in my opinion, of any of the Um, None of the smarts, none of the brilliance of the other two series. Mm -hmm. It just felt like another cartoon. Right.
1: And that's emblematic of the sliding quality that uh, Star Wars has been experiencing since the success of The Force Awakens. The Force Awakens set the bar so high that Disney stepped away from Lucasfilm and said, they know what they're doing. And it was at that moment then the shit hit the fan, essentially, with Star Wars, the relationship to fans, the uh, quality of the work. And that's all debatable, okay? But that's how I see it. And also, I've noted that fan morale is the lowest it's ever been in my 40-plus years of observing this stuff. And all of that happened just a couple of years ago. That really kicked off in the post-Force Awakens era. It didn't kick off with The Force Awakens. Nope. Or Rogue One, for that matter. No. Both of those (laughs) two uh, films were already uh, pretty much locked and loaded by the time
3: Disney decided to start giving complete court Yeah, I feel guilty sometimes for how often I forget Rogue One. Because when I remember Rogue One, I'm blown away. And I want to... Like, immediately go watch it. Yeah. A couple of months ago, Uh, I took a something of a deep dive into Rogue One and I
1: realized, boy, you know, I haven't even really sunk my teeth into this thing as mm. a fan, as an obsessive fan. Because we have, right, right. We've been just inundated with content like crazy. It's hard to sort of sort your way through it all. But uh, I've come to the conclusion that Rogue One is probably the most solid offering that has been released in the post-Force Awakens era of Star Wars. And there's a lot of people who argue that Rogue One is a superior film to The Force Awakens. And I think that strictly comes from its very tight connection to the original trilogy. Tighter than Episode 7, the next chapter of the Star Wars saga is and was i i think rogue one is far more connected to the true um kernel of star wars that lies at its core i agree
3: yeah. i agree let's break down this uh this resistance trailer uh a little bit there's some things that we see that uh are exciting a couple things that were uh somewhat shocking even uh bounty hunters we see some bounty hunters in uh the uh in the trailer Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that I jumped out at me was uh, Kanji Club. Yeah, they're back. Yeah. Fun to see Kanji them Club animated. Is there. Uh, I'm looking forward to seeing those guys in
1: action because basically we just saw them get devoured in uh, The Force Awakens. I, I want to see right. them involved in a little more action. We see the Crimson Corsair, who was a denizen at Maz Kanata's house or palace or whatever. Um, he was uh, one of the guys who uh, offered to... Bring along Finn as a member of the crew when he was trying to separate himself from the resistance and all that. Remember, Finn was going to uh, desert Han and Rey and everyone. Uh, he was going to go off with these these uh, bounty hunters that he met at Maz's castle. Crimson yeah. Corsair was one of them. And uh, the other was some sort of peg leg alien. And uh, Crimson Corsair. Now, Crimson
3: looks like the Guavian uh, death game. A little bit, a little bit. He does resemble
1: yeah. that. He has that, that red mask and everything. And uh, Crimson Corsair actually is a name that was taken from the Watchmen. And uh, I think it's from some other piece of literary history as well, but I know it from the Watchmen. Uh, also, super battle droids can be spotted in the trailer. Yeah. So that's a nice little connection. Bringing the sequel era back to the prequel era a little bit. Pull those guys out of mothballs. Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah, and do they f- work? I mean, you got to change the batteries on those guys. Yeah, they just stay plugged in, you know, and then you charge <laughs> them up like an iPhone. USB. Yeah, USB. And then the <laughs> huts. The huts also make an appearance. So mm-hmm. uh, that's some good stuff showing up in uh, Resistance. Um, I've noted some new voices have been brought into the fold. Uh, Lucy Lawless, most famously known as. <laughs> God, I think I pulled something doing that. Uh, uh, I'm hurting. My whole side is hurting after that. But she was the warrior princess, remember? Um, what the hell was her name? Warrior princess.
3: Uh, come on. Zena. 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 Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jesus. Well, when you said Lucy Lawless, the first thing I thought of was Lucy Liu. And I'm like, no. <laughs> I don't Lucy know. Lucy Liu? No, she no. hasn't Lucy been seen Lucy Lawless, uh, of course she has been Xena. seen since the uh, Drew Barrymore
1: Charlie's Angels film that was it for Lucy Liu's career i think
3: now lucy lawless has uh, a cameo in one of my all-time favorite comic book guy moments on the simpsons what's that where uh he kidnaps lucy lawless and 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 she says something about uh you know or you know what you're going to Keep me forever. And he said, oh, please, do you think I'm insane? <laughs> I merely wish to take you to my lair and make you my bride. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so we have uh, Lucy. Yeah.
3: Lucy Lawless, Zena, uh,
1: Joe Manginello.
3: Yes. Joining
1: yeah. the uh, crew. Uh, Joe is going to be playing a character named Axe Tagrin, And Lucy is going to be playing a character, the Aosian Queen. Okay. Okay. All right. All right. And uh, I I do predict Star Wars Resistance is going to have a superior season two compared to season one. Season one, I felt a little claustrophobic. We were constantly stuck on the same planet in the same... um, Space station, refueling station, whatever it was. It lacked the epic quality, I think, is essential to all Star Wars storytelling. And I noted that when the characters actually did leave that platform, the rare times they did, that's when the show started to excel. So now the platform, uh, spoiler alert, uh, the platform is now space bound. Uh, They they took a hyper, uh, a light speed jump. The uh, platform actually revealed itself to be a space faring vessel. It pulled itself out of the ocean and made the jump to light speed with the first order following them. So, um, I, I think we're going to be dealing with a lost in space situation here a little bit as season two begins, but we know that the first order is going to catch up with, uh, the, uh, folks, the resistance crew on, uh, on board the platform and, uh, the events of episode eight will also come into play, including the presence of Kylo Wren. And we have a yes. little little clip of Kylo here. If you are not capable
2: of dealing with them, then I will find someone who can.
1: Aha. Clearly mm. not the voice of Adam Driver. No. But that is, of course, Skywalker Sounds Matthew Wood. Yeah. Who uh, came into into the fold of voice acting uh, with some work he did on some battle droids in the prequels, and then of course he uh, elevated into the spotlight as the voice of General Grievous, making himself a voiceover force to be reckoned with. He's done a lot of voice work in Star Wars Clone Wars, Star Wars Rebels, and now here he is showing up in Resistance as the voice of Kylo Ren. I don't think this is the first time we've heard Matt do the voice of Kylo. I think he has done some vocal work for some of the toys from Hasbro, etc., and maybe some of the video games also. So he's, um, he's not new to the voice of Kylo, but I think this is the first time we're actually seeing him represent that character in a canonical source.
3: Yes. Well, good for Matt. That's great. So he is uh, he is now known as and he can do autograph signings as Kylo Ren. Yeah. Among many other characters, he's
1: voiced. So Uh, good for uh, Matthew Wood at Skywalker Sound. Congratulations. Uh, One other Matt well known to Star Wars fans is Matt, the Death Star Tech from the Adam Driver Saturday Night Live bit. Everyone remembers Matt, the the Death Star tech. <laughs> uh, people even cosplay as him oh, yeah. at uh, various conventions. Well, they did uh, feature a visual image of Kaz wearing a technician's uniform, a first order technician's uniform in... Uh, in uh, Star Wars Resistance season two trailer, and he is clearly wearing the same wardrobe Adam Driver wore on Saturday Night
3: Live. Yeah, it's a great um, I when I saw that, I was like, now that's smart. Yeah, that's smart. With the really with the orange that. supply <laughs> vest and the gray that's
1: jumpsuit. Great.
3: It was great. He's not wearing uh, the
1: glasses that Matt wore, uh, Adam. Uh, as a, No. no. Uh, he's, <laughs> not wearing, he's not bespeckled. But there are really no glasses in Star Wars. There's been very rare moments where you
3: encounter a oh, bespeckled
1: character in Star Wars.
3: We've done a whole investigative report on that. Yeah, we, we, yeah. Um, but once again, so series uh, season two, we're not in the UK, we call it season. Mm-hmm. Season two uh, starts October 6th, 10 p.m. Wow. They really burying that. Yeah, they sure are. 10 p.m. So, Remember when X Files moved to Friday nights? Mm-hmm. No, Mm-mm. no. When when it was always un- moved Freddy. to Sundays. Right. It was Friday nights, and it moved to Sundays. Yeah. And that was like the death knell. Um, wow. So October six, 10 p.m. You know, when all the kids are up. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's leading up to the rise of Skywalker. Now that really has me intrigued. So we might get since it's starting in October. Uh, and it's the final season. My guess is it's going to be a short season. Hmm. And I wouldn't be surprised if it wraps up right before The Rise of Skywalker <sighs> wow, You know, released. Wow.
1: Yeah. 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 They'd have to time out the storytelling in such a way that maybe Resistance will continue into early 2020 where some of the characters are dealing with the fallout. From
3: The Rise of Skywalker. I think that would be very interesting. I think that would be interesting. But yeah. that would also, I think, perhaps lead uh, fans into wondering, okay, well, what, what happens next in a season three? I think they'll wrap it up before uh, Rise of Skywalker comes out, honestly. Uh, but, you know, something, uh, Jim, that we, you know, we've had a, a history where when one animation project announces its end we get sort of the rumors yep. and the and the speculation about the second um what are your thoughts about the future of Star Wars animation clearly it will reside on Disney Plus all the focus right now is in live action uh do you see them taking on another animated project anytime soon absolutely and we might learn details about this at D23
1: which is happening next weekend. So we know we're going to be getting information about episode nine at D23. We know we're going to be getting information about the Mandalorian at D23. I wouldn't be surprised if we get some additional information about the Clone Wars revival. And, of course, there are very strong rumors out there being reported from Variety and elsewhere that Ewan McGregor has signed on the dotted line. To not only star in a Kenobi series for Disney+, Plus, but also to direct episodes of that series. Rumors are very strong, and all arrows are pointing at D23 as for when the announcements will be officially made and this news will be confirmed. Plus, I wouldn't be surprised if we heard something about the Cassian Andor Rogue One prequel series that... I'm personally looking forward to. I think the uh sky's the limit for that series. So big things to look forward to with D twenty three include information about all things Disney Plus, including we're sitting on the edge of our seats waiting for confirmation of an Obi-Wan Kenobi Disney Plus series starring Ewan McGregor, something we've been talking about for at least the last year here on Rebel Force Radio, ever since the announcement was made that the Kenobi theatrical release was going to be scrapped as a concept and all pre-production, I believe shifted over toward the Disney plus platform the day that announcement was made. So Ewan McGregor returning in star Wars. I hope so. We'll find out more next weekend at D23,
3: I'm sure. So uh, looking forward to that. Jason, we well, have... since you... Oh, I just so, wanted to just go. follow up on your D23 talk. Um, I just... This wasn't in the rundown, but I did take a look at the, the schedule for D23 and some of the events uh, that are uh, planned for the event. So we're talking about... Uh, 2019, it's August 23rd through the 25th. Um, on the 23rd, we've got a uh, couple of events that are interesting. Uh, one is the music and sounds of Star Wars Galaxy's Edge. So that's a presentation that's happening there in the arena. Also, um, that same day, Vader Immortal. Now, this is the uh, Oculus Rift uh I don't know what you call it. It's not a game. It's uh, experience. It a experience. It's like an experience. experience. They call there them episodes. Go.
1: And okay. uh, it's an interactive Star Wars entertainment experience. Is the best. I, I wouldn't call it a video game. And I no. wouldn't call it a series. An interactive Star Wars experience is really
3: probably right. hitting Fair the enough. nail on the head, you know. So it's getting its uh, moment in the sun there on stage 28 at uh, D23. But one of the big things is going to be at 3.30. That's the Disney Plus Showcase. That goes from 3.30 to 5. That's where I think we'll see some serious Star Wars news. We'll obviously see more from The Mandalorian. Um, Hopefully a wide release of the footage that was shown at Star Wars Celebration. That would be great. Yeah. Um, so we can actually see that in a, in an official release that's happening. And um, the next day on uh, Saturday, the 24th, we've got go behind the scenes with Walt Disney Studios. That's a big deal. That's there in Hall uh, D23 uh, from 10 to noon. I think that's where there will be a lot of big announcements made about the future of, of the, the films coming out from Disney. Um I got a little wish for the, for the 3.30 segment there on Saturday. Disney on Broadway in concert, a 25th anniversary celebration. Maybe we'll get an announcement of Star Wars the musical, finally. <laughs> yeah, Can right. we get Star Wars the lavish Broadway musical?
1: No. Not I don't yet. think it's going to happen.
3: Uh, maybe but down the road, but we're not ready for it yet. No. This isn't Star Wars-y, but this blew my mind. This blew my mind. We're looking at the rundown. I'm looking at the rundown of a Disney event, and I see from 10 to 11... The Simpsons panel, and I thought, "What the heck is the Simpsons doing on a Disney event?" Fox. Well, Fox. Yep. So crazy, isn't it, mm-hmm. to see Homer Simpson at <laughs> Disney? Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, yeah, Disney owns Fox,
1: so now they have they have two of the five major networks, broadcast
3: networks in America. They own ABC, and they own Fox. <laughs> So it's just crazy. Now, Sunday, there wasn't anything I didn't see of note for Star Wars fans. But we'll be definitely covering the action happening later this month, D23. Yeah, for sure. August 23rd through the 25th. So those are the big events that I sort of highlighted to make sure that, you know, we're, uh, we've are we got our antenna up for.
1: Absolutely. So we'll be watching that very closely. Stay tuned to Rebel Force Radio for updates on D23. We have one last story. I'm sneaking this in. I know we're running long. Let's do it. But nobody... Nobody is talking about this. Jedi News, TheForce.net, any of the, the websites, uh, Star Wars News Net, any of the websites that that bring you Star Wars news on a regular basis. No one is talking about this because I don't think they know. But we know here at Rebel Force Radio that Goldberg's actor Jeff Garland. Yep. Same Jeff Garland Mm -hmm. that hangs out with Larry David on Curb Your Enthusiasm, that Jeff Garland is going to be in Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker. Whoa. (laughs) I know. I know. I am shocked by this. How did they keep this a secret? Uh, Well, they did a good job until Jeff appeared on podcast the ride podcast the ride is a comedy podcast about theme parks hosted by three childless men in their 30s i'm reading their <laughs> press release right here uh, but uh goldberg's actor jeff garland obviously has a close connection to one of the hosts on this show and um i listened to it because a listener tipped me off i i'd love to give uh Props for the tip. And I don't have the listener's name right now, but it did come from the unofficial Rebel Force Radio Facebook group. So whoever you are, thank you very much. Um, uh, but yes, through Podcast of Ride, we learned that Jeff Garland is appearing in The Rise of Skywalker. Cut one. This is huge. Yeah. You know I'm in the, the new Star Wars, I
2: knew that, but I thought that was a secret. I guess it is, but I don't have any lines. You want me to I'm cut, one of those, it, cut this I'm out? One of those, no, no, no. I'm one of those people <laughs> that's in it, and you go, Who's that? That looks. Because I, I think people will know that it's me. Well, they'll know. Uh, so, what's, they, the,
0: what's the tell? I'm
4: not telling. You can't tell the tell.
2: Yeah, I'm not going to tell the tell. I don't want to do that.
4: Don't tell the tell. Yeah.
2: But, but I am in it. Huh? But, okay. but you think we, with no information, we're with, watching the film, my but we would know. point being is I work with the CP3O guy. You did? Who, oh. So by the we... way, wears the outfit, literally. Yeah. Okay. And he's very proper, and he, he's very kind gentleman, but he takes it very seriously. Uh-huh. Wow. Yeah. Uh-huh. Crazy seriously. <laughs>
3: Yep, that's Anthony. Mm, yeah.
1: <laughs> oh, so, my God. Yeah.
3: Oh, the- crazy.
1: <laughs> so, you know, Jeff is a <laughs> Chicago guy. He uh, came up through the ranks here in local comedy. Wendy Snyder knew him before he was a big famous guy. One of Wendy's best friends growing up is Carla Felicia. And Carla is a sitcom, a stand-up comedian and a sitcom writer, Uh, uh Mike and Molly was a a show she worked on among many others and uh, Wendy used to pal around with her back in the the old days and uh, hang out at the uh, nightclubs with her. and um, Before
3: she was tied down to Jimmy Yeah, Mack. before that.
1: Yeah. <laughs> before anything. Nobody was tied down back then. We were uh, as, as loose and uh, crazy as uh, some helium balloons. We were flying all over the place. But um, Wendy would hang out with guys like Jeff Garland and Steve Odenkirk and all kind of dudes who are, are now mega famous. And uh, Jeff always remembers Wendy from that. Whenever he's in town, he always appears on her midday talk show. On WGN Radio, so next time Jeff is in town, I'm going to make sure Wendy asks him all kind of questions about Star Wars. Heck, I might even go into the studio myself on that day. Jeff is a great guy. Um, we need to know more about his interaction with
3: Anthony. Well,
1: he talks a little bit about it oh, in this okay. next clip. He talks about um, <laughs> how he was acting like a goof on the episode nine set.
2: Oh. I'll actually have a good bit after the movie comes out, because I really did a lot to distract everyone and f- things up. Sure, yeah. Including you, J.J. Well, including starting with calling JJ. him CP3O. JJ, um. J.J. would say to me, he goes, stop moving to your right, because you know you're filling the whole screen. <laughs> I'm not making wow. that up, because I saw where the camera was, and I would make my way into like an area, and he goes, you can't, because everyone's going to go, you're, because what I was in it, I can't talk about but you would be, it would put all your focus there, trust mm-hmm. me. Okay, okay, um, sure.
1: Didn't you say there were versions where you were allowed to just say whatever you wanted? No,
2: we, I did it for the dailies that they sent to oh, okay. Disney. I did one where I talked about um, I'll be making, I told certain characters to leave, go do what they're about to do. When they come back, I'll have built a puppet theater. <laughs> and there'd be fresh pancakes for everybody. <laughs> So this was just sent blinds to Disney I don't for know them to if go, what? I don't know if they'll put that on the CD, the DVD, but there are DVD extras, whatever extras. iTunes has extras now, but yeah. the point being is I don't know if they'll include any of that. Wow. Yes, I did do that on a
3: Star Wars set. I would hope so. <laughs> well, this comes out of nowhere. Yeah. What mm. is the connection? Well, I mean, obviously, yeah. What's the, what's the what, connection? Well Okay.
1: I was thinking to myself the connection would have to be ABC Corporate, owned by the Disney company. Jeff Uh, Garlin is one of the stars of probably the biggest sitcom on ABC these days, which is The Goldbergs. Right. And so I imagine that maybe Jeff and J.J. were rubbing shoulders at some sort of corporate event, and one Mm. thing led to another, and jj said why don't you come over to big robot in santa monica and we'll put big you in front of robot. or big robot what do they call bad robot come out to bad yeah. robot in santa monica we'll put you in front of a green screen with anthony daniels we'll see what happens there because <laughs> i don't know maybe maybe jeff actually was out on the set in london you know maybe he was there at pinewood studios didn't they? I thought they shot some stuff in the states. Oh, they do. They they do use the bi- again the big robot, the bad robot facility in Santa Monica. Yeah, right, right. Definitely uh, comes into play for shooting uh, uh, certain certain things. I yeah. would not think full scenes or anything, but definitely certain scenes uh, or um, reshoots or whatever, a little, little additional material they need to shoot for the film. I mean, JJ has a studio at his disposal there at Bad Robot yeah. so
3: all right well he, if it if there was any doubt as to how big of a character Jeff is playing i think the next i think the next piece of audio here sort of s- summarizes it mm-hmm. cements it
1: yeah yeah
3: i think we, we got a toy involved yeah we're going to get an action figure of his character for sure
2: <laughs> here's the clip I did a three D thing of my character. I was and with you when, a toy.
4: I was with you when you did what? it.
2: What? Well that was actually no That's a different day? That was for yes. There was another scan. My, what you came with me for was the scan for my costume. Oh. And for everything I wore. So it would fit me exact. No, I got scanned for a f- Toy. Wow. wow. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so there's.
2: Yeah. I, I will tell you the name of my, my character. Zebra girl.
1: Zebra girl. Okay. There. You heard, you heard it. Uh, podcasts a ride. Right. Breaking big news. Oh, there. Man. Jeff Garland wow. to appear as Zebra girl in Star Wars Episode Nine. See, it's Jeff Garland. You
3: know when I hear him talk about it, I feel like it's it's like somebody like you or me getting on the set of a Star Wars movie. Well, like. Uh, even yeah. worse like the guy doesn't seem precious about it at no, all no it, it, it's just so refreshing i i have had moments
1: uh in the presence of jeff garland and uh-huh. i can confirm 1000% is he is as regular a guy as you're ever going to meet. I mean, he uh-huh. is a regular dude. Uh, very fond of leaving his cell phone behind wherever he goes. So <laughs> uh, anyone looking for a Hollywood celebrity souvenir, just follow Jeff and you'll end up with his iPhone. Um, and he would laugh and punch me in the shoulder if you he heard me saying that because it's so true. So that interview is available on Podcast The Ride. You can find it at foreverdogpodcast.com in the interview uh, they do talk a little more so it might be worth uh, checking out that full show to hear the entire conversation because jeff also revealed he would have no interest in playing his character on its own disney plus spin-off show so
3: yes uh, <laughs> he, he has no interest so none amazing amazing hog Squattle returns <laughs> jeff Garland in the costume <laughs> Well, it certainly is an interesting time to be a Star Wars fan these days. Always lots of stuff to talk about, that's for darn sure. And uh, wow, what a nice surprise. The Jeff Garland stuff at the end. I was not expecting that and as Jimmy Mack pointed out, I I in fact I've got Apple News up right now and it's yeah. checking for new Star Wars stories and I'm scrolling. Right. I see nothing about yeah. Jeff Garland. Nobody's reporting it, especially podcast The Ride.
1: And I think they're doing it to protect Jeff. Because if you listen to that, Jeff reveals that he's going to be in Star Wars. And the host says, oh, you want me to cut this out of the show? And then Jeff goes, no, no, leave it. So I think that they're under-hyping it to protect Jeff Garland because he signed NDAs. Mm. But
3: Jeff doesn't seem to care. So <laughs> He doesn't care. He doesn't care. Uh, anyway, well, we care about you. We care about you, though, you. Those tuning in each and every week, downloading the show, streaming the show, we appreciate it so much here at Rebel Force Radio. Thank you. We appreciate it. Uh, we'd love to have you play with us in between shows. You can send us an email, show at rebelforceradio.com, or leave us a voicemail, 708-320-1RFR. That's 708. 70- 708 and if you can't get enough of Rebel Force Radio check out RFR on Patreon and you'll never miss an episode of any of our bonus content plus we've got giveaways and uh, whenever we have Rebel Force Radio events you get early access to those and with a new Star Wars movie being released here in the next couple of months stay tuned about those rebel force radio events also uh we mentioned earlier about our youtube channel make sure you subscribe please and click the little bell get updates whenever we release a new video jimmy's releasing sometimes two three a day it's incredible a workaholic output.
1: i don't know workaholic, what to say no workaholic.
3: yeah um so make sure that you're subscribed uh and uh we've got some surprises coming up on our youtube channel so you're going to want to make sure that you're uh plugged in there. Also Facebook, we're on Facebook, we're on Instagram, we're on Twitter. Uh that Twitter handle by the way, RFR Rebel Force. That's R F R Rebel Force. And uh we love to uh talk to you there and uh, all over social media. Uh the official website radio.com Check it out for all things and everything Rebel Force Radio, including merch. RFR merch. You need that coffee cup, you need the mug, you need the t-shirt. Baby onesie. We got it all over there. All (laughs) kinds of stuff going on. And um, iTunes. Uh, Last week, Jimmy busted me for not saying iTunes. Fine, iTunes. Oh, I don't care. I just thought it was last
1: call, you know. (laughs)
3: Last call for (laughs) iTunes. Well, it kind of is. So, uh, you know, iTunes is being uh, broken up into music, video, and podcasts. So... Soon, we're just going to call it all Apple Podcasts. So if you're in the uh, iOS ecosystem, you got an iPad, you got an iPhone, you're probably uh, finding us on Apple Podcasts. Uh, we love to have reviews. You can leave reviews over there on Apple Podcasts or on iTunes. Uh, but we have one rule, please. Make them good. Make them bigger. You've got to find us streaming. We're all over the web. We're, uh, we're at WGNPlus.com, as we mentioned, YouTube, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Uh, Google Play, of course, Stitcher, SoundCloud, anywhere you can find podcasts. I I love uh, Pocket Cast. That's one of my favorite uh, podcatchers. That's the one that I use. And the Apple Podcast app is great as well, especially if you're going to plug in that exclusive Patreon RSS feed. The Apple Podcast app works great. As a matter of fact, I knew that Jim had put some uh, new uh, audio out there because when I woke up this morning... I got a push notification that uh, two new episodes were available on that s- exclusive Patreon feed. So, yes, yes. It's great stuff. It's All awesome. right, we'll see you next time. Lots to discuss. We are counting down the days, the weeks, the months to the release of Star Wars Episode 9, and we're so glad that you're along for the ride. We'll see you next time for Rebel Force Radio. I'm Jason and I'm Jimmy Mac. Bick-a-bick-a. And <laughs> was expecting that wouldn't have (laughs) tramped on it and remember the
2: force will be with you
3: always
4: Doing here, man. Oh, come on, bro. It's the wars. I love that about you.